one step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We're but part of the whole team that's worked so hard. The shuttle era will come to an end. But they won't stop inspiring, and they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America. We choose to go to the moon. Alright, and welcome everybody to another episode of the Talking Space Podcast. This is Talking Space episode 433 for the week of Monday, October 15th, 2012. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein, and joining me tonight is Gene McCulloch. Welcome, Gene. Hey, Sawyer. Running on a, on a voice with uh, half power, but man, we've got too much to talk about. It was a, a, a historic weekend for two reasons, and, and I can't wait to really, really start this show. Hey, if the Falcon 9 can make it without all of its engines into orbit, I think you'll be able to make through the show. <laughs> and welcome as well, Mark Ratterman. You know, our listeners don't catch this part, but it's always kind of a pick-me-up when Sawyer is getting ready to start and uh, intro us, because what they don't hear is Sawyer say, okay, ready in three, two, one. And I just like that. That's just got a good sound to it. <laughs> Yes, indeed, except instead of getting the words liftoff, you get the intro to the show, which both of them, I think, are pretty awesome ways to end a countdown. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty then. So, in the meantime, ignoring that, let's get into actual space news. And the first thing is space shuttle news, because we love our shuttles here. And that is the Space Shuttle Endeavor, which finally made its way to the California Science Center. It departed uh, right on time, and it took them a little bit of time to actually get it there, though. It took a total of 61 hours to cover 12 miles, which is 16 hours longer than originally planned. It paraded its way down some streets, and it had some really tight spaces and some narrow turns, avoiding, you know, zigzagging to avoid trees and to avoid lampposts and... But they finally made it to its final home, the California Science Center, which the display will open up to the public on October 30th. Yeah, so uh, the the reason why the whole thing was really, really long, in fact, Endeavor missed her, her own uh, welcoming party. I believe the uh, California Science Center had a had an interesting little party together with some uh, with a lineup of uh, some celebrities and uh, you know, the music and things like that. I believe they had the uh, the science center sort of bathed in, in different colored lighting and so on, and they were going to agree to endeavor that way. But uh, as uh, things turned out, um, the uh, the ordeal was a little bit longer than folks anticipated, uh, and the reason why, as Sawyer, you pointed out. Um, they had to squeeze by trees and so on. I think they were still they were still going at, at about two miles an hour at one point. At, at one point, but then I think the whole thing slowed down to like a mile and a half. And uh, the whole reason why, again, is there were some still some trees in the way that had to be kind of sort of shaved back a little bit. And uh, they had a, a squadron, literally, of uh, 
of uh, you know sort of tree surgeons going ahead going ahead of the orbiter trying to shear off you know branches that might have been in the way uh, and, and getting endeavor through and uh, when you're moving a vehicle that that's that is that fragile it's about 122 feet long um, wingspan is just absolutely huge um, and the tiles are extraordinarily fragile I mean, just just uh, you know a, a fingernail could, could theoretically sort of damage them and the the idea was to try to get endeavor back to the California Science Center in the condition it was when it landed after STS-134. Uh, I talked to a few people on Twitter um, during the whole thing. In fact, I tried to go ahead and live tweet some stuff and all that. And there were some people that were really, really giving some good photos. Um, and uh, some people kind of sort of likened it to a uh, almost almost a funeral procession, if you will. Um, some others likened it to... Uh, uh, you know, to, to just, you know, having this, you know, there's something you don't see every day. And I think, too, judging by the, the crowds that came out to see Endeavor go down the streets of Los Angeles were just amazing. I mean, people were, were, were yelling, screaming. They had, they had people up on the roofs, you know, trying to take in this whole, this whole event. And um, uh, I think the people of California, for the most part, were, were thrilled to have this thing here. What, what really, really, too, uh, took me aback was the fact that, 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 the, that the children, you know, lining the route of all the, you know, all the, all, all the kids that lined the route there were really, really excited to see this thing. So um, I think Endeavor is going to go in there and is, is going to go ahead and inspire the next generation just as much as she inspired the next generation taking her long walk down to uh, down to the California Science Center. But I'll tell you, from my personal perspective, it was just surreal seeing this thing sitting out there. Um, you know, just going ahead and, and, and kind of kind of weaving along, you know, slowly weaving along the, 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 uh, the freeway over there. So, Mark, the way I want to remember Endeavor is, is uh, you know, and, and the way I was kind of thinking about, about you, too, is I was watching Endeavor kind of roll down the street. Um was the last time we saw it, uh, which was uh, it was really really late at night. It was due to we were supposed to go out there to see the RSS retract for SGS one thirty four, and it was delayed due to a lot of thunderstorms in the area. And uh, you and I, you know, kind of braved that, and uh, you were gracious enough to to hang out there with with me. And you you had you had not you'd seen this before, I hadn't. So you were you were you know gracious enough to hang out there with me. And uh, we both uh, went out there and uh, watched as the uh, you know remote uh, service structure moved away from Endeavor, and um, she sat there bathed in all the xenon lights. And that's the way I want to remember her, you know, poised, ready to go, with uh, the entire sitting on the entire stack, um, ready to go to work, uh, rather than the way I saw her uh, this weekend. But uh, it, it was really surreal. Seeing this thing kind of sort of travel through the city streets. Sorry, I don't know what kind of impression you have with all this, but um, that was my impression. It was like, holy wow! It was definitely a unique sight and something that you won't ever see again. You know, you've seen Iron Man sitting on top of that famous donut, but you've never seen a space shuttle next to it. And I don't know if anybody else caught this, but there was a picture, and these were posted all along the route was little orange roadwork signs that said um, shuttle crossing. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, just 
just really clever, and uh, I they gave it a great welcoming, and that's something that you're not going to see anywhere else. I mean, you know, it was kind of cool seeing Discovery flying all around D.C. and all the monuments and everything. It was really cool seeing Enterprise being barged down the Hudson by the Statue of Liberty, but I don't think anything's going to beat Endeavor's entire trip down L.A. I mean, even the mayor of L.A. just called it the mother of all parades and i think that's the best description actually actually i think the mayor didn't want it to be the mother of all parades neither than did the police department because they were really really afraid of the crowd control but um they managed they managed to do it and hats off to uh to everybody involved with that i mean you want to talk about a, a, a tricky operation they had to go ahead and plan for all this and hats off to uh you know the 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 police over at uh uh, in Los Angeles, the fire department, all the first responders that were out there, and really, really hats off to the people that that actually stayed there and watched Endeavor go down the street because they had to wait a very, very long time. Some of them to see this this huge behemoth, you know, sort of just roll down the street, and uh, they were all there waiting to 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 greet the orbiter. I mean, that that you know really, really made me feel pretty good because uh you know judging by some of the the yelling and screaming about uh, you know the removal of all those trees um it, it kind of made me wonder what kind of welcome the orbiter was really really going to get once once she got there but everybody was really really positive it was upbeat it had to be one of the biggest block parties i've ever seen in my life yeah for sure which i should add along those lines for actually preparing the parade route quote unquote for endeavor over 400 trees had to be removed, which the California Science Center has vowed to plant double that. Some traffic lights were taken down, as well as many of the roadways were actually reinforced with metal plates so that they didn't buckle from the weight of the orbiter. So it took a little bit of work to get it there, but it made it, and it will eventually be on display October 30th, which its final planned display is to actually be vertical in a launch position. So... Endeavor is at her new home at the California Science Center. The next and final shuttle to make its move will be the space shuttle Atlantis, which is scheduled to make its move just a short trip down from where it currently is to the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Center, scheduled for November. Alrighty then, so let's move on to our next story, which is a story that I can bet you many people have probably seen or saw live. And that was a man by the name of Felix Baumgartner, who Mark and I mentioned on a show a couple of weeks ago. He successfully performed a jump from 24 miles, or over 120,000 feet up. He jumped, he successfully parachuted back, and landed back on terra firma. In doing so, setting a couple of world records. He set the world record for the highest manned balloon flight, the highest jump, as well as for the fastest speed traveled. And I don't mean like in an airplane, you know, like Chuck Yeager or anything. I mean free-falling, in which he reached Mach 1.24, which again is over the speed of sound, becoming the first human being to do so. And all of this returning safely. The only record that he did not break was longest free-fall, but still... I'd say that's a pretty darn good record to have there, huh? Yeah, in fact, uh, Sawyer, it's really interesting that this occurred on the anniversary of Chuck Yeager's uh, record-breaking flight, breaking the sound barrier. Um, it, it occurred on the same date, so it's it's kind of fitting that it did happen. 
And uh, Joe Kinninger, who who had once held the record, was uh, was flying Capcom for him uh, back home, back in the uh, Mission Control Center over in uh, Roswell, New Mexico. I should say that uh, all of this was sponsored by a company called Red Bull, and you know, for folks into energy drinks, that's uh, um, you know, they were they were footing the bill for the whole thing. Um, one of the things I'll, I'll say about about the jump was uh, what Baumgartner said just before he was about ready to, to leave out, out of the capsule. Now, you're about 120,100 feet up, okay? You're in a pressure suit, and you're standing on a porch about the size of a skateboard. And uh, he said something very, very interesting. He said, I know the whole world is watching. And I really wish all of you could see what I could see right now. And he said, sometimes that you have to go very, very high to realize how very, very small you are. And he said, he didn't say as he leaped off the porch, he didn't say, oh, you know, okay, we're starting our descent or anything like that. He said, I'm going home now. And um, that was to me, you know, every, everybody sort of characterized this guy as a daredevil, as a, you know, all this and, and you know, nerves of steel and all that. Now, really, he had a psychology coach to, to help him out a little bit. You know, um, I understand he is claustrophobic, believe it or not. And they had a sports psychologist help him out with that. Um, but uh, everybody characterizes this guy as some kind of like, you know, you know, daredevil, no fear, no nothing, all this. He was far from it, far from it. And 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 the way I kind of look at him, he's he's, you know, he, he's he, he's just an ordinary guy that just got really really an opportunity to do some very very extraordinary things and work very very hard to get there. So um, if anybody's trying to characterize him as some sort of you know modern day evil Knievel, I think they're wrong. <laughs> they're wrong by a long shot. Um, we also learned too during the press conference he's a guy of some deep faith too. So. Um, that says says a lot about him as well. But uh, congratulations to everybody involved in that project, um, and, and most of all to Felix Baumgartner. And job well done. Um, this, by the way, I, I should say, you know, a lot of people have been criticizing this whole thing as some sort of publicity stunt for 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 energy drink. It isn't. Um, there, the uh, a few companies were watching this this jump, including NASA themselves. Um, because what you're doing is you're trying to see too if a suborbital vehicle say goes awry up there or you have a, a situation where you have to bail out of something for instance X-Core has got their vehicle the Lynx um, even Virgin Galactic was probably looking at this too and uh, I'm sure both of those companies are very very eager to get a hold of that data and I dare say even NASA and and the other CCI cap folks, because apparently, can you indeed survive a bailout situation from that height? Well, the answer is obviously yes, and I'm sure that they're going to be looking at the data to to find out. Okay, how did how did how did uh, Baumgartner really really pull this off? What kind of training did he have to go through? And maybe this might become mandatory training for these suborbital vehicles. So, um, there's you know there was some scientific value in all this. Yeah, except for the fact that I think it's somewhat limited in real life because launch vehicles don't just typically position themselves in a relative hover where people could jump out. 
Very true, but there may be a situation where, you know, that may come in handy and and the knowledge that you could pass along from that um, would uh, come into play here. Um, Baumgartner almost didn't survive, so if I recall, he went into some sort of spin and was able to go ahead and level that out. Um, you beat me to it. I was just about to mention that. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, uh, kind of along what Mark was just saying, you know, about the practicality of it. I mean, not every launch is going to be perfect where it's going to get up and then stabilize within a couple of hundred feet of altitude and where it's going to be, you know, a perfect jump. Plus, while he was going out of there, he got into a spin that he almost wasn't able to recover from. If that were to happen, though, he did have an emergency drogue chute that if he spun way too much would automatically deploy, helping him out. And at the same time would have then, however, ruined his chances of becoming the first person to travel faster than the speed of sound, jumping pretty much from space. But thankfully, he was able to recover and manage to jump out. And the one thing I was really interested in that he talked about was, you know, what does it feel like being the first person to just basically jump out and break the speed of sound? And like he said, you know, felt a little heavy on his head. But other than that, <laughs> not much, you know, attention paid to it. But I, I think that was just really cool. And again, hero or not, that was still really cool. Is he a modern day hero? Yeah, we. I guess we need we need you know kind of sort of heroic figures, and if you want to go ahead and paint Baumgartner that way, then fine. But I'm sure he strikes me as an individual that probably would would sort of shun that 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 moniker. Exactly. In an article I'm reading here from ABC News, what he basically said was is that after this, he's retiring from the daredevil business and wants to find a decent job as a helicopter pilot. Quote: I'll fight fires and rescue people. No emails. No phone calls. Amen. <laughs> All righty then. So let's continue along then to our next story, which is pretty much going to take up the rest of this show. And that is the SpaceX launch, which we talked about. SpaceX's first operational flight to the space station launched last week. And as well, a couple of days later, it successfully was birthed to the International Space Station, as the title of our last episode stated. SUNY Williams noted that they had tamed the dragon and they got their ice cream as we also talked about last week now before we get into the main topic of our show gene there was another payload that was brought up on that launch that didn't go so well do you have an update on that yeah this was a um test payload that uh, a company called orbcom which is local here to uh new jersey uh they're based out in fort lee um, they launched a secondary payload on board Falcon 9. Um, it was uh, just a, a prototype satellite that they were hoping to get some engin- engineering data. Unfortunately, um, the uh, the satellite, which is called uh, OG-2, uh, was placed into a too-low orbit um, by the Falcon 9 booster and uh, unfortunately re-entered the, the Earth's atmosphere as we kind of, I believe, Mark, you kind of alluded to that uh, um, during the last show that we had that satellite problem. Well, it re-entered the atmosphere over the weekend, and um, uh, Orbcom, though, is saying that they got enough data from it. They've got all the engineering tests they really wanted to out of it uh, since they knew that the thing was placed in the wor- wrong orbit, and I think they're ready for... Uh, 
they're saying that they're ready for uh, for the for the satellite uh, the uh, the actual satellite to to fly in 2013. So yeah, they lost the uh, prototype to the tune of ten to ten million dollars. Yeah, it's insured, but you know, of course, after that, if you have a car accident, your insurance is going up, and I'm sure Orbcom's insurance is going to go up here too. But um, it looks like that uh, they're going to go ahead and roll out the actual satellite as planned in 2013. Um, but again, they got enough engineering data from this thing. So, yeah, they, they kind of won the battle but lost the war in that they lost the satellite. Well, at least they could say that they got some information out of it. So there's a little bit of a positive. All right. So the main issue that we talked about last week, or at least that I ended up making a big stake about, was the idea of traditional media versus social media. Should they be considered the same thing? And should they be given the same access, as was the case at the SpaceX launch, where the NASA social attendees were given the chance to participate in all of the same activities as the press, including press conferences. And if you listen to last week's episode, which if you didn't, I suggest you do, you will hear my very fiery rant against social media being given the same access. Now, Mark... I'm going to say I have absolutely nothing against the people that were chosen. I think they chose some great people. And I think once something that will back that up is that you spoke with a bunch of them and you have some great interviews. But I, I do hope that you asked some people about their opinion on this topic. Yeah, I did. In fact, that was my point with everyone that I talked to was uh, wanting to get feedback. And uh, just a, a little add-on from the uh, press release about the NASA Social prior to the CRS-1 launch. Bob Jacobs, he's the Deputy Associate Administrator for NASA's Office of Communications. He made the statement that after expressing initial concerns, they believe traditional media was pleased with the previous uh, encounter with social media being involved, and he looks forward to evaluating how everyone worked together this time. So NASA's looking at this, and they want to hear uh, probably from all points what people thought about it. So that's part of what, uh, I wasn't doing that for them, I was doing it for me, because I was just really excited about this difference and seeing how it worked. Now, some of the interviews are about what you would expect to hear from people that have one or more NASA socials or previously called a NASA tweet-up under their belt. You'll find that there were people I interviewed that were there for the first time. There were some that had been to previous ones, and they talk about them, and they talk about the comparison between them. The reason I wanted to include this is because some of what people had to say may or may not be familiar to you, if depending on whether you've been involved or know someone well that, that was part of an asset social previously. So this will help you get an idea of what it's all about. There's variety here, and I think you'll find it interesting. No one that I spoke to, interestingly enough, mentioned hearing our last episode where we introduced this sort of a controversial topic. So they were all, you know, clear mind and encountering the NASA social and the alignment with traditional media for the first time, honestly. So here we go. I'm going to start playing the clips and we'll comment as we go. Yeah, my name's uh, Adam Kostecki. I live in Arlington, Virginia. And this has been a, a great experience with the melding between uh, traditional media and social media and where a lot of um, activity has moved into the online sphere. This has been a, a great opportunity uh, to get those interactions and to 
target an audience that had previously not been thought of. Is this the first NASA social event you've been part of? Yes, it is. You know, it's been great. NASA did a really good job organizing this. They have a really good uh, presence online and their social media on Facebook and on Twitter. Um, and it's been everything that I could have expected. Have you had some interest, people that follow you on various social media, as to the fact that you're here? Yeah, um, when we put out our a couple tweets uh, that we'd be covering the events today, I mean, we got quite a few retweets and a few small reactions, so it's been good, you know, and we're still growing, so, you know, whenever you see that kind of buzz around something, you know it's going to be great. Have you followed the space program in general before, just personal interest and... Yeah, I have. I mean, it was unfortunate I wasn't able to make it to the final uh, shuttle launch, but it's definitely been something I've watched. I mean, every, every shuttle that's gone up, yeah, I, I watch those as well. It's been, it's been very fun, and it's great to see uh, this industry really picking back up again um, and having its, its second wind. Well, my name is Manya Sasoyev, and I'm out of Vegas, and I go by Manya S. That's as in Sam on Twitter. Uh, this is my first... Uh, NASA launch or a social media event, and I'm super thrilled to be here. Uh, some observations I've noticed is that uh, basically everyone here that uh, represents social it has the exact same access that all of the media does, which is really cool. I think uh, the dynamic of, of journalism has kind of shifted, uh, not to say that social media is necessarily uh, traditional journalism, but it is a new form of journalism. And I, and I, I really appreciate what NASA is doing and, and giving those who have some sort of a voice online. And that it doesn't have to be a huge audience, but um, different audiences than what the traditional media is. And so, I, you know, I applied on a whim. I'm glad I got in. And so I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the launch and really share with my audience how I see it from my perspective, which is, I think is a fantastic start-to-finish experience. So my experience in social I've been doing it professionally for the past several years. Uh, I started off as an interactive and digital marketer, and, and obviously the industry for myself sort of shifted in that direction. Early on, I did a lot of community management and web development, so just overall encompassing, I, I've been working in digital for well over a decade now. So um, I think from a social media perspective, NASA is one of the groups that I look up to as far as who's doing it right, who's really going out there and changing changing the world with it, and really giving uh, voices power that they didn't have before. I hear you talk to Charlie Bold, and that a surprise? I, I was shocked. I was not expecting any uh, any types of drop-ins or, I guess, so-called space celebrities. If you want to, if you want to go there, uh, to drop in and talk to us. And from talking to a couple of journalists that that came into the room, like actual credentialed uh, news reporters, um, they don't even give interviews to news reporters anymore. So it's really interesting to me that they were giving us that opportunity, who are representing social, to. To, to meet both the administrator and the deputy administrator for NASA. I mean, that's huge. Um, and I'm very grateful for it. And I think he was really forthcoming, answered a ton of questions, and he's super personable. You know, something that you will never experience through a television set. So how about the future? If you see another event that it works out that you could get to or hope to, would you? Absolutely. I definitely want to come to another one of these. Um, now that I know that I could potentially apply, and a lot of the stuff is is 
what I had seen it before, I guess, is partially my fault. I didn't do a lot of exploring about it. I thought that was something that was sort of an invite thing. I didn't realize that people could apply for it, and whether it be a lottery or a credential system, um, I didn't realize access was there for anyone. And now that I know that, now that I'm experiencing this, um, I definitely want to come back, and I definitely want to tell my friends and family about it, and anyone who has some sort of voice online and say, hey, you really should try and do this and experience it once in your lifetime. Because, I mean, two bucket list items for me. One is go to you know Kennedy Space Center, and the other one is to witness the launch and I'm doing both from a vantage point that most people don't ever get so it's really really cool I definitely want to do it again I think the excitement will stay up with people you communicate with afterwards I hope so um Fortunately, within my, net, my network, whether or not they be followers of the space industry or any type of sciences, um, they're all still nerds at heart. And so I think they kind of appreciate that. And when they see someone be able to experience it and feel the excitement that they get, I think it kind of rubs off. And it it's kind of sparks a curiosity uh, from those other people to sort of explore it on their own. And then they ask questions like, hey, how did you get to go to that? And then you sort of share those experiences, and in turn, they go and explore it on their own. Do you recall what the first... NASA spaceflight type event was that you followed closer than just reading a headline. Oh my goodness. I actually started following them a lot closer um, once NASA embraced social media, honestly. So, so just in the last few years. Yeah, I mean, it's something that I remember as a kid and watching them on TV, but really it's one of those, you turn on the TV, you watch the launch or you watch a mission or whatever it may be, you watch the briefing and then that's kind of the end of it. Um, the nice thing about social is you sort of get to experience the hype and the build-up along with the team, and then you get to experience the post-high that comes with that afterwards, too. And so I think social, for me, has really ignited my interest far more than it ever had been as a kid. And although I've always been interested in, in science and technologies, um, it really has ingrained that much deeper into my psyche, so to speak. So far, lots of positive comments so far. I think they're all enjoying it. The observation I'll make real quick is that you have the folks dropping in at the you know at 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 I almost said a tweet up tent at the social tent like NASA Administrator Charlie Bolden, um, but they won't they kind of shun the the regular media but you know that I think they they kind of look at the the NASA social folks as sort of a much more friendlier audience it might be that just that might just be me. <laughs> I'm going to hold off on making my comments until I hear a couple other people's opinions. Mark, do you have some others for us? Sure do. Here we go. My name is Kara Haas, and I'm known better on the web as Green POS Girl, both on social media and my website. I am so delighted to be a part of this mixed media, social media and traditional media. Were you surprised when you uh, were selected for this? Had you applied to NASA Socials before? This was the first time that I had known that I could apply and I applied and was absolutely surprised that I was selected and so thrilled to be able to bring this event to my followers on Twitter in particular and also on Facebook. And next we have... I'm Emily Carney. I have a blog called uh, The Space Available. It's at this th spaceavailable.blogspot.com uh, and um, I'm on Twitter as EmilyC1978. I have a Tumblr blog called As Only NASA Can. Um, I think this is amazing because we've been kind of embedded with the real news media, but you find out the real news media is amazing, of course. I mean, I, I work in print myself, and um, 
I think it's a wonderful tool. You know, you got newsprint. You've got, um, you do have internet, you do have radio and things like that. The thing, though, I find with social media, which is what I'm doing and a lot of my colleagues here are doing, is that um, you kind of get immediate updates, which is what, there's a really big demand for that now. A lot of people want to see things, you know, when news, when something's breaking, they want to see it happen immediately. And sometimes with print and other forms of media, you don't, while I still love those, I think they're awesome, um, you don't get that immediacy. And that's what people crave, especially in, especially with a thing like a launch, especially a night launch, because people want to hear and they want to see about it, you know, if it went well, what kind of experience it was. So I think it's been kind of an interesting blending of all the different types of news you can get. So I feel like NASA, by doing the social, is giving us all the sorts of news possible from a, from a launch event. So that's how I feel about it. How about the press briefings? You were at the mission science briefing and the pre-launch briefing. What did you think about that, sitting in the KSC press auditorium and, and being able to be recognized and, and talk to the uh, people that were there? To- that was, that. I'm sorry to interrupt you, that was the fulfillment of just a lifetime dream because that was something as a child, you know, I've, I can't speak for other people, but personally, my experience with NASA has been, I've been obsessed with the program since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. I've always been into NASA. This, And everybody knows this has always been a part of me since I was a little kid. I grew up close to here. And, you know, as a kid, you would see press conferences. You know, I used to watch the old NASA films, and I'm like, wow, that's so cool. I would love to be, you know, a member of the media working in there. And, um, and I felt like I just achieved, like, Mount... Everest or something for me. I mean, to me, that was awesome just to be embedded in there to ask questions and to get the same kind of treatment, you know, the news, the regular press gets and stuff. And to have, you know, legitimate questions answered by the people in charge of the program is, was just amazing. I, would, I, I It was just, I can't even explain it. It was just awesome that they even included, I even got to have that experience. So NASA really made a dream of mine come true personally because I've always wanted to do that. I think it's amazing. I'm very blessed. I'm very happy that they allowed us all to do this. I think it's just wonderful. From talking with you earlier, you've been to previous NASA socials, NASA tweet-ups. This is different. Yes. And it's what you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, without sounding, I'm, I'm trying not to sound too flowery, but they just, I went to the Juno tweet up, which was amazing. And it ended similar to this in a launch. Um, I went to the KSC 50th social, which was also amazing. I mean, it was just wonderful. I just feel like it just keeps getting better and better because every time, like every time it just goes up a notch, like this time we got kind of personal, like almost a personal encounter with. Charlie Bolden. We got to talk to him, and it was very up close. We got to talk to Lori Garver. I mean, that to me was, these are people I watch on TV, you know, talking about space policy and about the future of NASA, and they're in the room with you. I mean, that just is absolutely amazing, and to be capped off by a night launch right up on Complex 40, you know, I mean, I've been to tons of launches in this area. I've seen day launches. I've never seen a night launch from this close of a, you know, of a unmanned spacecraft, so I just think this is I just they just keep getting they with the NASA socials I feel like they just keep overwhelming itself each time so the next one I don't know what they could do extra but they just keep getting better now how about if there was one somewhere else even here or elsewhere in the country that you couldn't get to and a friend you know sent you a message and say hey should I apply do you think I could do this absolutely 
I think it's a great, um, it's not only just a great experience just to go to one just for fun, I mean, obviously, but I think um, if you have any sort of interest in journalism or, you know, just social media in general or anything like that, I think it's a good experience to cover an event like this and to get all to disseminate various types of information to the world, you know, because I have a blog. It takes me a while to write up content just because, you know, you got to sit there and formulate stuff and make it make sense and stuff. With social media like Twitter and Facebook, you can put stuff up immediately and just say, oh, there's the, there it went, you know, so I would definitely recommend it. I think it's a great experience and working with different types of people with, you know, traditional media and social media. And it's just a heck of a lot of fun. Hey, Mark, I could relate to Emily Carney's remarks um, as far as watching all this uh, on television and wanting to be in there asking questions and so on. I sort of thought the same way myself. My my whole dream was to be uh, be Jack King, the, the PAO announcer over at uh, during, during Apollo and uh, being able to do his job. But I, I could really, really relate uh, to the butterflies and, and things like that. I still remember when the first press conference I recovered for 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 this show it was for sts 134 and our first press conference were were the the heavy hitters um uh mike Kleinbach and uh kathy uh, kathy winters and uh mike moses and uh, i'm like oh boy you know you know so uh getting the butterflies getting that first question out but then you know kind of sort of feeling like you belong here so um emily more power to you yeah, just a comment for me, I can relate to the butterflies because at the pre-launch briefing, I got partway into my question and lost my train of thought, and I didn't know where I'd been, I didn't know where I was going, and it, it just felt clumsy as all get out, but I managed to uh, managed to recover <laughs> somewhat. But Yay! Yeah, yeah. yeah doesn't always... I didn't notice it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't either, but I've had the same thing happen. I didn't notice it. <laughs> got some more. We've uh, got a lot of interesting people you're going to hear from, so here we go. Hi, Stacy Severn with NASA Social, and um, I, uh, I'm a secretary of our observatory in Stratford, Connecticut, and uh, I also take pictures as a fan of Star Talk Live and do some guest blogging for them. Um, so this is my first NASA social experience. I was here at one launch, STS-132, um, not as a guest of NASA social. Um, it was it was amazing um, being at Kennedy Space Center, the sense of history one gets. Um, with this experience, getting on into the inside, driving past the VAB, um, coming inside with the press, being in the room with the media and, and, and watching the interviews that we see on NASA TV, and getting to ask questions was absolutely amazing. And of course, the flawless launch and the night launch at that was absolutely breathtaking and a dream come true. Of course, one of the things I feel compelled to mention is that you can tell from these recordings that the uh, environment varied from being out at the causeway to one and actually several at the press site to some that were actually done after the fact over Skype. Continuing our discussion from Kennedy Space Center, now it's post-launch for the SpaceX CRS-1, but one of the folks I met at the NASA Social is Robert Neff. And Robert, welcome to Talking Space. I'd like to hear what you have to say about the NASA social, previous events you've been to, and social media in general. Go ahead. Well, to answer your first question that was posed before you started recording was, do you think social media should be alongside media? And the answer is yes. I think the best place to point this out is social media is embracing, or I, say, I should say, how can I say this? 
is spanning the globe and spanning uh, genres that and vertical markets. And there is, it's getting to be confusing to people because they don't know how to manage it and they don't know what to do. I can go out to events and the news people are following me because I have, I'm doing exciting things. I am there first. I'm tweeting first and they're picking up on it. They're also finding out the reporters are just standing around not using social media, which is kind of uh, a little bit of fun. So they're looking at my pictures to see what their social, what their reporters are doing and, and photographers. This NASA space shuttle program allowed me to become a part of this. And when you go to one of these, you know, my first one was STS-135. However, I had been following it beforehand and I've been watching the launches and tweeting uh, the whole events because from my window I can see Kennedy launches from the other west coast St. Petersburg and we call it the other bay too so social media is to me should be alongside both adventures media and social media uh, because we can get the verbiage out and there's a, uh, a synergy that can happen but you know there's also territory because this is their business and so how do we mix these together and that's I think the biggest thing that has to be overcome is they have a business to run and for us we're writing on our blogs or we're utilizing this as a another medium I go out and have fun and I do this and I enjoy it but there is a responsibility here for what I do and I grow organically in that I tweet my mind I tweet what's on my mind I don't hold back so if you're gonna follow me if someone follows me, I'll follow them back. And I can lose, I can, well, I can gain 120 a week, and I can lose 60. But that's fine. I, I'm okay with that. This is, this is my voice. This is the voice that I have in covering all these events that I am in, whether it's the Grand Prix with the racing community, Southwest Florida, and or the World's Richest Tarpon, where I'm teaching them how to tweet and how to use social media. It's just not about Twitter, it's about social media. And I think NASA, by going with the NASA social moniker versus the NASA tweet-up is very smart because before it was all NASA tweet-ups were what we did. Now it's become ingrained where we're using all forms of social media. So if you look at the first picture of my photo essay from, S, for, from the SDS-135, you see NASA tweet-up. You look at it from NASA social from... SpaceX, and you've got you know a whole slew of icons on there. Google Plus, Facebook. After I came back from STS one twenty or one thirty five, I went to a race tweet up, and Bay News Nine, which is our local nine station here, uh, tracked me down and said, "You're." They saw my moniker Phi WA and said, "That's who you are." We'll put a face to the name, but we follow you. We, you, you were a rock star when you were out at, at Kennedy. I mean, at Kennedy Space Center for 135. Everybody here was following what you were doing. <laughs> I, I, I kind of like that's nice because I don't have any comprehension of that. So in one in 15 months, I've had almost 400,000 views of my images on Flickr, and that's how I tell a story. But I don't hold back when I tell a story. So people know I go out and I'm covering on a hashtag and I use that. So this is how we can help and how information can get out there. I'm curious with uh, your experience with NASA Social at uh, STS-135 or NASA TweetUp and then this event with the SpaceX CRS-1 launch, 
where they really aligned and, and that was their, their goal was to align the NASA social experience with that of traditional media. Do you think that's a good idea? Do you, do, you I think hope, it's, do you hope to see NASA continue that, not just so that small numbers of people will have that closer experience, but do you think it's good for social media that this happened? I think it's very good to happen, but I think there's some things that NASA Social needs to look at and improve upon, do a process improvement look. And that is, the group was not as tight, the NASA Social people that attended was not as tight as we were uh during 135 and the SDSs and the Junos. What I think they can do going forward, because now you're with a commercial entity with SpaceX, is you can have a meeting place, which we did, but do introductions. And also on your credentials, not only have your name, but also have your Twitter profile. Because I don't know a lot of people's names. I know them by their Twitter profile. And that's how we communicate. Uh, and so I think there needs to be a synergy within the NASA social group. And I met about four or five people there on Saturday, and we maintained a tight bond, and we're still going to continue that. Then on Sunday, I met some additional people. And then people on Sunday were saying, when I introduced myself as 5WA, they said, we follow you. We've been watching your tweets. Very good. We like what you're doing. And one tweet, which really surprised me, I looked at it a couple of days ago, was a tweet where I, I took a picture of the NASA buses that were all lined up. I looked yesterday, a couple of days ago, and that one tweet had 900 views, over 900. And I, I was just blown away. I mean, the most I've seen is 300 on one that I've looked. So I think that's the most important thing is the engagement and the acknowledgement. And there's news services that will not do it. Could you give us your website, uh, Twitter where people can follow you there or whatever you'd sure. like to share with us? Sure. The website is fifthworldart.com, and that's F-I-F-T-H, worldart.com. And my Twitter profile is the number five, W-A. And I've been called Fivewa, Fifth World Art. Uh, just tweet me, and I answer. I will respond. And I'm an artist, photographer, a contemporary artist, and a writer, and uh, trying to have fun with this and make contacts. Wow, I I thought it was really interesting how he mentioned that um, regular media was kind of following his tweets at 135 and using his social media to complement their regular traditional media broadcast. And I thought that was interesting. And that's one thing I have to agree with is that social media is very good at complementing traditional media, just as traditional media is really good at complementing social media. There's one person who was kind enough to contact us on Twitter and um, that was Richard Hay and he answered my question last week a little bit about all right what is exactly involved with you know the, the selection process for social media and things like that and he would know he's a pretty big social media guy if I remember correctly right that's a fact so uh, I know that he tweeted it to us but Mark you also did a phone interview with him afterwards and talked with him a little bit about this. Did he mention anything about the whole idea of traditional media, social media, and this specifically the selection process? There was some mention of it. Let's give it a listen. Well, it's me again, and I'm talking with another friend from the NASA Social at the CRS-1 launch. Welcome to Talking Space, Rich Hay, Win OBS. 
we were just chatting before I started recording about how the NASA socials make a difference. And let's continue with that thought. Uh, go ahead, Rich. Well, yeah, Mark, what, what I was saying was that I read a recent story about how, you know, the NASA social events, you know, PR teams on Twitter are always doing giveaways to try to draw followers and to draw people to their account and to track what they're doing. Well, they give, do giveaways, you give the iPad away or, or, you know, some kind of technology or some kind of swag. But this this story kind of alluded to the fact that, you know what, when NASA does a giveaway, they give away a shuttle. They give away access to stuff that many of us has dreamed about over over many years of our life. And it's always interesting to me as I follow each successive NASA social that they always find some way to make it unique. You know, when I attended STS-132, you know, it was the tour. We got we got very, you know, we got to uh, go around the, the Space Center and get tours that you wouldn't normally get. And then they bring speakers in to talk to you that, that just normal, everyday folks visiting the Space Center didn't get to see. I mean, I remember very distinctly on the second day of the tweet-up, uh, the last speaker we had before launch had just come from the launch pad putting the astronauts in the shuttle and shutting the door, shutting the hatch. So we had this guy there to talk to us, and he, he, he'd been doing this stuff for 20, 25 years and had some tremendously impactful stories about his experience with the, the different astronauts. You know, he was part of the closeout crew on both um, Columbia and on Challenger. So he had some very heartfelt thoughts about, you know, the, the program and, and what it meant to him. But NASA always seemed to accomplish that. And then I remember uh, last year when I attended the Juno uh, NASA social, we got to go into the VAB for the first time and, and see inside the vehicle assembly building. And there was a shuttle parked in there because they were shuffling the shuttles between the OPFs uh, and the VAB for space, and we got to see a shuttle up close within 25 foot. And then, you know, you look at each successive thing they've done, like most recently out at Dryden, uh, not Dryden, but um, Edwards, they had the one for Endeavour arriving on the shuttle carrier aircraft on our way to California, and, and those guys were within, you know, 50 feet of the runway as the shuttle landed and as it took off. So, and they also got a tour of the 747. So, so NASA and their social program has really figured out how to key in on uh, what is important to people, what is passionate to people, and and you see it now in the the NASA social community that is developed with the the wiki we have that documents every uh, social that has happened, who's been to it, what occurred, links to other you know uh, publishing about it as. And we also have a Facebook group for every get-together that's ever happened. I'm still very connected to my own uh, past groups, as well as most recently the, the COTS 2 and 3 launch back in May of SpaceX. I actually hosted a Google Hangout this past weekend right from the parking lot of the press site so that my fellow uh, COTS 2 and 3 social participants could watch the launch live over Google Hangout. So, you know, that connection... I think I saw Shannon, who we know as a geek mom, once tweet that when you add an event and passion to it, it really draws together a group. And having spent, you know, 30 years in the Navy, I get that because it's the same type of thing. When you serve together, when you deploy together, when you go out there and you do things that, that are very stressful at times and but yet very rewarding when you accomplish them, it really draws a group together. 
And it's the same reason why I have relationships with people I served with 30 years ago in the Navy and that I do with these folks that I've met at NASA Socials. It sounds like you've summed up in a in a top-notch way what the whole NASA social experience is like. Mm-hmm. And tell me, how do you compare this most recent CRS-1 NASA social that was really pretty different because you didn't have events that were planned? You didn't have planned tours that everybody from the social got on the bus and went and saw specific things. You were part of the press. So contrast the, uh, the differences and how you feel that has... Um, it, how it will impact in the future your interaction with people that, that you talk about NASA and space flight and well you know it, the, the people who applied for those um, press credentials under the social media header uh, are all kind of from the same group of people who would apply for NASA social and you're right it was different because we didn't have organized tours that we did have a space we did have all the connectivity and everything like that we need, and we got to go out to the pad, just like the press is taken out to the pad. We went out with them and got to do photos. Actually, very luckily, um, we got to watch uh, Dragon or Falcon 9 get raised to the vertical, and uh, you know, and then we had access to the press conference after the fact and when the administrator and Gwen Shotwell from SpaceX spoke, and then, of course, the, the press conference afterwards. And, and it was different. Um, I think there was a, that group of us that were there did connect again on a very similar level because of our passions. But from a personal perspective and observational perspective, I was very aware of a couple different times that the traditional press uh, may not have been real thrilled with the fact that we were there or why we were there. And it came in two different ways. One was on the bus going to the launch pad. And a comment was made by a gentleman who was a photographer with the team and apparently had been covering shuttle launches for 20 years. But he made a specific comment about social media being on the ride. And I did not catch all of it, but something specifically, you know, that kind of made a talk about social media being in the mix. And we were on the bus waiting to get off the bus, and uh, they were kind of giving us the ground rules of being out there around the launch pad. And... You know, one of our uh, social media credentialed individuals, when they talked about being able to see the rocket lifted to the vertical, it reacted in a way that I've seen reactions on past NASA socials, and that was they clapped and was very excited about it, whereas all the press are kind of, you know, kind of flat it would be the word I would use. Then we got out there, we did our thing, and then uh, at the press conference after the launch, I think about three questions got asked, and one of the individuals, it was traditional press, that asked the question, uh, one of the final questions was that um, his lead-in to the question was, you know, we all have deadlines to work on here, Administrator, and now with social media hanging around. And, you know, I walked away and I sent a tweet out and said, you know, we still have an uphill battle here in that, you know, this, this perception that social media is out to beat the press at their deadline. And the reality is we share this type of news and this type of event in a very different way than the press does. The press, I think, writes very factually and provides information, which is kind of the traditional you know, press that you've seen over the years. Whereas those of us on social media, those of us that are selected because we applied for an opportunity to go to that event, report at a very different level, at a very emotional level, at a, at a level of passion that, that – there are some, I'm not, I don't want to categorize all the press as flat, 
but because there are many that are not. They're very, you can read it in the way they're active and do things that they are passionate about the program. But, you know, I was a little bothered by that comment, and, and it does present an uphill challenge of, are we looking to be accepted? I don't think so, because, you know, ultimately, all of us were able to be there. We were able to see a terrific launch. We are able to, to, to document that through our social media channels. Many have come back now and written stories to put up on their websites to share the experience. And, and we're going to continue to do that, and I think they will continue to have a line of people waiting for that opportunity to, to go out there and witness those things, even if there aren't all the normal uh, things that you would do with the NASA social. I'm curious, you and I both live here in Florida, given the opportunity for, you know, let's say similar events. I mean, maybe it would be a launch or something, but mm -hmm. two different choices. If it was going to be a, a traditional NASA social or a NASA social that was aligned with the traditional media, which would you prefer to apply to and be part of? Wow, what a great question, because a discussion came up through a couple of the Facebook groups um, for the alumni, the NASA Social Alumni Facebook group, about people who were applying to this. And there was a huge misunderstanding, I think, that people, people thought this was a typical NASA Social. And there's always been a feeling that if you've been on a NASA Social, you shouldn't apply for another one because it gives other people opportunities. And, and I've, I personally have never applied for the same type of NASA Social. I've always tried to be different or to apply for a different one. And, uh, you know, it's a tough choice because there was connections. And because I've been lucky enough to be on four past NASA socials, I, I've gotten all the in-depth tours and I think the things you can see at Kennedy. Um, so I would probably opt to apply for this credential and do it that way because, you know, you still have access. There's still a level of being able to be engaged with it because, like I said, they took us out to the launch pad. Uh, you can, they're allowing us with the social media to sit in on press conferences to ask questions and to be involved in a way that traditional media always has. And uh, so I think, and I would probably do that because that is pick, you are being picked for that credential based on your potential to put information out there. And it's no longer random. Normal NASA socials are a random selection process, as they tell us. But the social that are not the social, although they use that header, I had to provide them a justification why I should be out there and how I would use the tools at my disposal to get that information out there. So I wasn't picked at random. I was picked because of the impact I could have on social media. And so I don't have a heartburn at all in being picked for every one of them if that's what happens. Uh, my wife might have some issues with that, with me constantly making trips down to Kennedy, but she gets my passion there, too. But, yeah, I think I'd probably apply because no longer would I be viewed as constantly trying to take a spot from somebody who's never experienced a NASA social. And I would definitely – this would be a tough one for a first-timer, I think, although we did have some first-timers, I think, this weekend. Um, I think a first-timer would definitely appreciate the up-close, in-depth tours and opportunities you get with a normal NASA social as opposed to the credentials. But it's still cool for a space geek. It's still cool to drive onto NASA, drive onto the Space Center, drive down that road heading towards the VAB, you know, park there, see the clock, see everything that you see there. So, but for me, I'd probably go with the credentials. I can sort of understand uh, the, the traditional press does have a tight deadline. They have X amount of hours to get the story in. 
and you know to make sure it, it makes the addition that it's supposed to go in so so that was the reason why and i could understand the irritation a little bit but i i still don't under, i still don't get you know well there's a lot of social media here um so the the traditional press is, is under a constraint they're under a deadline constraint and they have to get their story in whereas social media shoot they could just go ahead type up the thing type up the blog and probably beat them to the punch um if if they're kind of smart i mean we we were when we first started out it was just kind of sort of we were these this upstart group and um here at here at talking space and uh, we were kind of looked at as as you know kind of uh, the oddballs in the group there for a little while, but we earned our stripes and we went through it. So I guess these bloggers are going to have to go through the same type of thing. And it was interesting too to find out how these folks were selected. I didn't know that they had to sort of write an essay a little bit and say how they were going to, you know, demonstrate to NASA how they were going to use social media to the to to the to benefit the uh, the message that NASA was trying to get across. So that's that's kind of. Kind of interesting. I didn't know that. So, uh, so th- again, they had to show their metal a little bit, and uh, uh, I-, I still think there, there's room for th- for the traditional and and the social media groups, you know, to, to peacefully coexist in the same room. Obviously, CRS One was an example. Based on what he said, the fact that they have to provide justification that they're chosen based on impact, that honestly makes it seem like they're is more of a strict criteria for a selection of NASA social media than there is quote-unquote traditional media. Because for us, literally, all you have to do is fill out the form online, give them all your life's information, and then basically say, all right, how many listeners do you have? And provide a contact of somebody else in your organization so we can make sure that you're with them and that you are scheduled to actually go and cover this. That's all we have. We don't have to provide justification of who our listeners are, why we believe that we're, you know, an appropriate organization to go and cover it. We literally just have to go, yeah, we're asked to cover it by our organization and we're broadcasters. Yeah. I'm honestly a little bit surprised at this. And and thank you, Rich, so much for both tweeting this to me and saying this to Mark. I am really appreciative of getting this understanding doesn't mean it completely changes my opinion it does shape it in a much better opinion than i had last week but still you know there's always going to be that possibility you'll get influential people but sometimes you get influential people who are influential for the wrong reasons now thankfully this time all the people who are selected nobody was and it's still going to take some time for social media people to get used to the way that traditional media works at nasa press sites but then again, we had to do the same thing. So honestly, now I'm really conflicted. So thank you, Rich, for making me conflicted. I hate you, Rich, for making me conflicted. <laughs> well, you know, again, I think I think traditional media is going to have to learn that they're going to have to use social media a lot too to get their message out. I mean, we've we've kind of learned that trick here, but I think the traditional outlets are going to have to do the same. You know, like I said earlier, I understand now that without a doubt. Social media is still relying on traditional media, and traditional media now, especially more than ever, is relying on social media. So 
I get that the two of them now are slowly starting to merge together. I don't think it'll ever completely become one, but they're slowly starting to merge, and I can see a trend. And I don't quite know if I like it yet or not. Give me another week or two and a couple more listener emails on their opinions, and we'll see. Well, give me a minute, and you'll hear my last interview, and uh, see what you have to say about that. But first, but first... I just want to comment that some of the people that I interviewed and others that I just talked to during the weekend uh, talking about deadlines, some of these men and women, I guarantee, are spending considerable amounts of time with their blogs, with their write-ups that they're putting on various social media, not to mention Twitter, uh, photography. Some people were taking photos that were, I guarantee as good as what the pros were shooting and they spent some time with them after the fact too going through them and and doing the tweaks that that photographers do that have all the skills and hacks to to make them optimized and at their very best so uh deadlines yeah but these social media folks they put some work into this too after the fact and if we're ready to roll on with our last interview go for it this is the one i'm waiting for so I was standing out there, uh, 50 feet from the water on the NASA causeway, talking to many of the folks that you've heard so far tonight, and I heard an associate of someone that was there, standing closer to the water, say, and he was—he had a uh, probably a smartphone, and he was live streaming, and he was doing a live stream of the launch, and he said, uh, and I'm here at the NASA causeway with an internet goddess. And in my introduction here, you'll hear me say Internet Celebrity. But thinking back on it, I do remember him saying an Internet Goddess. And so here we go with this interview with an Internet Goddess, an Internet Celebrity, and you'll hear her correct us all. Okay, I was out at the causeway just a few minutes ago waiting for T-Zero, and I heard somebody in the background say, and I'm here with an Internet Celebrity. And I thought, Internet Celebrity, is, is that, you know, somebody being a wise guy and their friend standing next to him? And then I heard your name. So, Molly Wood, welcome to Talking Space, and Thank tell you. us a little bit about yourself and your experiences here today and, and what you think. Thank you. Well, yeah, Internet Celebrity is a little strong. Uh, I work for CNET. I have been a podcaster for CNET for years, and then just recently started a show called Always On, which is a 30-minute web show where we uh, do sort of extreme product reviews, but then we also do these big future of technology kinds of stories. Um, and it's kind of me engineering my dream job. I always wanted to see a shuttle launch. It was just like the bucket list thing, and I never made it because I could never figure out how to block out three weeks of my life for these shuttle launches. But I finally managed to get them to send me down here uh, for this launch today, and it was it was all it was cracked up to be. How about your encounter with, with some of the media here? I mean, part of this is a little bit different than what you're used to in, in CNET. It's, you know, it's been a fascinating day because I did, I came in the morning for the, I wasn't here yesterday, but I came this morning for the activities, including going out to the launch pad and seeing the rocket be erected into position. Um, and I definitely noticed and have been commenting all day that it's a really interesting mix of media. I'm used to going to these events and seeing totally jaded old reporters and, you know, and knowing all the names uh, or at least of the outlets where people are, and I've noticed that it's bloggers. And I talked to a guy on the bus who has a travel blog and is out here covering this. And I was thinking, you know, all due respect, how'd you guys get accredited for this? <laughs> 
what like what I felt like it was really hard to get accredited for this and you've got like travel writers and you know and a and a girl who I think is a photography student um and so then eventually over the course of the day found out about this NASA social project and realized it's deliberate they're really deliberately trying to accredit people from all walks of life so that they can have probably a broader reach and probably a lot better stories than kind of the same old journalists it's very cool. Different crowd, eh? Different, totally different crowd. Yeah, but then it, you know, I mean, I don't know what the vibe was like before because it was my first launch, but it's been super exciting. Everyone's like really looking forward to it and really excited to be here and really a big space buff. You know, it's not jaded old reporters on deadline. What would you expect before today to be the reaction from the traditional media to having a social crowd or NASA tweet-up crowd included? What would you expect? the response to have been prior to your own experience? Well, you know, I don't want to speak ill of my colleagues or myself, but reporters can be kind of a snobby bunch, so I'm sure that would <laughs> it come It comes as a surprise, and I can imagine them thinking, like, what, you know, well, what is... But that said, I think every journalist in the world is questioning his or her role in media these days because around every corner is a budding journalist. So it's probably... It's, it shouldn't be any surprise to anybody. And yet, of course, here we are standing in the newsroom, and there's plenty of plenty of excitement around us. Yeah. And uh, some of it's the jaded old reporters, and some of it's the NASA social folks. So I think you're right on the money with, with your reaction, and I'm looking for great things to happen with that. And uh, thank you very, very much. Anything else you'd like to add? It was my pleasure. This has been uh, one of the best days ever. <laughs> where, where, where are you on Twitter? Oh, yes, please find me on Twitter at Mollywood. Just all one word, Mollywood. And uh, you can find my show, this... this piece will air in a couple of weeks at cnet.com slash always on but it's on every week so you can go anytime wow i i think that she hit it spot on on my thought process on the fact that you know you go somewhere it's the jaded old reporters who know everybody and the fact that they're deliberately bringing the social media people i thought that was an interesting comment and i honestly liked her take on it again you know her being some you know consider traditional media, even though now we're technically considered traditional media as well. I, I just find that really interesting, Eugene. Yeah, the um, uh, first Molly Wood has been. I've been listening to her for years um, through the old old CNET show Buzz Out Loud. Um, so it was. I was really Mark. I'm extraordinarily jealous. Um, thank you for for at least uh, getting Molly Wood on. Uh, but yeah, I, I totally agree with her. Um, if you look over at uh, at KSC Sawyer when we were there for STS one thirty five, you saw a lot of old you know a lot of old guys that were you know kind of you know the old old grizzled veterans, and uh, there were still a lot of you know complaints about the tweet up folks or the social media folks and so on, and there were still a little some complaints about them getting some sort of access and so on. So um, uh, you know, I'm I'm in in a way I think think NASA is using all of the tools at its disposal to get its message out, whether it be through um, the traditional channels or whether it be through social media. And I think that that's what they're trying to do. They are trying to go ahead and energize everybody and about about space flight and space exploration in any way possible. And I think I think they more power to you. Uh, but Mark, again, thanks for getting Molly Wood on. Um, I've I've enjoyed her work for for years. Yeah, and it was funny after I heard her associate say uh, "internet goddess," 
and I heard her respond. I knew her voice. I recognized her voice immediately and <laughs> had to go over and talk to her and ask her if we could talk more. And when I did, I said, uh, are you part of the NASA social? And she said, what's that? So at that point, she, <laughs> at that point, she wasn't really aware of the composition of all of the crowd, the, the media folks that were there. She, I don't think she realized. And when I saw her back at the uh, press site at the news center, she said, oh, I talked to one of the NASA social people, and she probably talked to Jason Townsend. She said, I talked to one of the social people, and they explained to me what this is all about. This is really something. And I would like to point out that uh, this was my observation. I, I went to one launch tweet up, and it was actually a few months after we started our podcast. And it was STS-129 Atlantis in 2009. And I made the statement. I said, I don't care if I ever go to one of these things again. I want NASA to get the most bang for the buck possible out of these events. If somebody else can go and reach more people and accomplish more, I want somebody else to go. I want the people to go. They're going to generate the excitement. They're going to cause the the young people, the in-between people, and the older people to say, hey, we need to support our space program. We need to support commercial space flight. We need to be behind this and not not turn a deaf ear to, to what we're hearing. And uh, I still feel that way, and I feel like with Talking Space, we're doing our part uh, we commented, I think, last week that we do a lot of work in preparation. We do a lot of work uh, post-editing, Sawyer, with you doing most of the editing on this. And I think we're making our contribution. And I appreciate being a part of it, whether people can. And I don't think, last comment, I've talked too much already tonight, but I don't really have much, I'm not aware of other organizations that I see at KSC, and I'm not there for every single event, but I'm, I've been there for a lot of them in the last two years. I'm not aware of audio podcast type folks that are part of that mix. I think we're in the definite minority. We could be possibly a, uh, a uh, platoon of one out there. I'm not sure. I can't guarantee that. But, uh, of course, a lot of the press does put out audio podcast type material, but they're also there for TV and print. So I think we're kind of unique. Yeah. Mark, I couldn't have said that better myself. The, that, that was just fabulous. Thanks so much. Yeah, we are definitely one of the rare few who are solely this. You know, there aren't many specifically dedicated space podcasts out there. I mean, you've got your space shows, your space websites, your TV segments, but nothing like this. And just as well, there is nothing else like NASA Social. And every time you think you know what it is, they completely change it up and make a difference. So, Mark, thank you so much for going out there covering the launch. And thank you so much for getting those really awesome interviews. And if you don't know who any of those people were, all of their names and the order that they appeared in this show will be listed in the show notes along with their Twitter accounts. So be sure to go visit them. And if you liked what they said, go follow them. And on that note, I believe that is the perfect way to end this episode and bringing it to its conclusion. I'd like to thank everybody who joined us here tonight. Thank you for joining us, Gene McCulka. Yeah, thanks, Sawyer. And remember, um, just just real quick, OMB is just going ahead and decimating the planetary sciences budget. 
Um, they're they're pulling the plug on about three hundred nine million, which is going to reduce it even further. Essentially, OMB is saying no new uh, planetary planetary science missions. So, Planetary Society is running a uh, neat little uh, letter writing campaign to get uh, the White House to reinstate that three hundred nine million in the NASA budget. So, visit Planetary Society, planetary dot org, again, check it out. And a link to that will as well be in the show notes. A busy show notes, so be sure to check those out today. And thank you as well for joining us, Mark Ratterman. It's been fun. I appreciate the opportunity to make this contribution. I hope everybody found something out that they didn't know. And uh, see you next week. I sure as heck did, you know, about the whole selection process for the uh, the NASA socials. And how difficult we have it, yet how easy we have it here as traditional media. But I still want to hear other people's opinions from our listeners. I mean, it's great hearing it from the people who are at the NASA socials, but I honestly think those might be a little biased. So I want to hear your opinions, guys. Be sure to send those to us. You can send them as a text file or MP3 to our email at mailbag at talkingspaceonline.com. You can also tweet it to us at Talking Space or post it on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Talking Space. And, of course, once again, I would like to thank you for joining us. And, as always, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be where you are.